0: Hey, welcome to another deep dive, a short, condensed deep dive into Scripture through this podcast, More Than Bread. We're we're diving into Scripture because we believe that it satisfies and nourishes our soul. Scripture shapes our hearts and renews our minds so that we can live a life that thrives because we need more than bread. We need more than stuff. We need every word that comes from the mouth of God, and that's Scripture. God breathed words of God inspired by the Spirit of God so that the people of God can thrive. And the word that we focused on in the last episode was the word grace. As we kind of you know, did a little bit of a review of Ephesians chapter 1 and 2, the word was grace. And in some ways, it's the same word in this episode, but we're adding to it a grace-saturated word, and, and that's gospel. So in this episode, number 174, hosted by me, Pastor Dan, we're diving into grace and gospel. I love the story. A few years ago, one of John Orberg's kids was graduating from Azusa Pacific, and and his wife, Nancy, was speaking at commencement. So the two of them were invited to a special gathering of about 50 people from the graduating class of 50 years ago and, and a few faculty members. And during the gathering, John Wallace, the president of Azusa, brought out three students who were graduating that year and told them that for the next two years, they were going to serve the poorest of the poor in India. And these three students thought that they were just to be commissioned by this group of alumni and leaders and and sent out with a blessing, which they were, but then something totally unexpected happened that they didn't know was coming. John turned to them and said, I have news for you. There's somebody you do not know, an anonymous donor who is so moved by what you're doing that he's given a gift to this university in your name on your behalf. John turned to the first student and said, you are forgiven your debt to the school of $105,000. The kid immediately starts to cry. John turns to the next student, you're forgiven your debt of $70,000. And then he turns to the third student and you are forgiven your debt of $130,000. All three students had no idea this was coming. They were just ambushed by grace Blown away that someone they didn't even know would pay their debt. And the whole room was in tears. And and honestly, that's, that's the taste of grace that happens when the kingdom of heaven breaks in on the earth. Grace happens. Some man or woman had been graced by God, and in turn, they became a pipeline of grace for someone else. Listen, take the dollar signs away. Fix your eyes on the unseen realities of heaven coming to earth. You've been given, Paul said in Ephesians 1, you've been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's grace. You've been given a seat at the table. That's grace. You've been graced. The ultimate question for you and me, for us in this episode is simply, what will we do with the grace that we've received? What will we do with the grace we've received? And when grace is poured out from heaven to earth, the gospel is revealed. That word gospel, it literally means good news, euangelion, good news. When when grace is poured out, it's good news. We, we hear that word gospel, if you're in the church, if you grew up in the church, you hear that word gospel all the time. I mean, it's the heart and soul of our faith. It's simple, but it encompasses our whole life. So what is the good news? Well, in 1 Corinthians 16, Paul writes, let me now remind you of the good news I preached to you before. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. I passed on to you what was most important, what had also been passed on to me, that Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. So here's the first part of the good news. It's done. It's done, it's taken care of it. The heart of the gospel is an event. It's it's news about what Jesus has done. It's not advice on how to live life. I mean, that's okay. That's that's in the Bible too, but the gospel is is an event. It's It's not advice. When I tell you news, it's about something already done. Something happened in history. And when it happened, it changed the world. And if you believe it, it can change you too. If you believe that Jesus died for your sins, was buried and then rose from the dead. Tim Keller puts it this way. Jesus lived the life you should have lived and died the death you would have died so that God would accept you just as he accepts Christ. You're not saved by the teaching of Christ. You are saved by Christ. That's the good news. It's done. And the second theme of the good news of the gospel, the good news, I would say is you have a family, This event has been done. It impacts you if you believe, if you dive into it. But secondly, good news, you have a family. Remember Paul's words in Ephesians chapter one. I love it in the living Bible said long ago before God made the world, God chose us to be his very own through what Christ would do for us. He decided then to make us holy in his eyes without a single fault. We stand before him covered in his love and his unchanging plan. From the very beginning, his unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by sending Jesus Christ to die for us. And he did this, why? Because he wanted to. Good news, <laughs> what has been done has given you a new family. You have a new family. Welcome to the family of God. Some people stop at forgiveness. Good news, you're forgiven. You get a second chance. Life is not over. Hope is restored, and you don't have to live with the guilt. And that's amazing, but the gospel goes so much farther, so much deeper than mere forgiveness. It's not just about forgiveness. It's not only about second chances. It's about a whole new life with a whole new identity as a child of God. It's about being radically loved, even though you will need more than just one second chance. We're family, seated at the table. And the final theme of the gospel is good news. What's up there has come down here. It's good news now. It's good news for life, not just good news on the other side of death. It is that too, but it's not just then. It's now. It's about a a grace that has been poured out, a kingdom that brings an inversion of life that, that turns the world upside down. That's why Jesus' primary message was good news, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is near. That's the gospel. The good news that the kingdom of God is here now, life with Jesus, lived through resurrection powers, now available to ordinary people like us. Heaven is broken out on earth. (laughs) And of course, the word that goes hand in hand with gospel is the word grace, right? It's all grace. It's done. He did it. I couldn't do it. I couldn't earn it or pay him back. Freely, he gave me more than I could ever imagine. He died for me so that I could live for him. It's all grace. Remember what we said in the last episode, it's God's riches at Christ's expense. Unearned favor. That's grace, the grace of the gospel. You you should rehearse the grace of the gospel every day. Get up in the morning and say, it's done. I've got a new family. (laughs) Heaven is here. Now, with all that in mind, listen to Paul's words in Ephesians 3. I'm I'm just going to start with the first six verses, reading from the uh, English Standard Version. For this reason I, Paul a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Remember, he's writing from prison. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Remember, Gentiles are the ones that the Jews thought were had no family, had no place in the family of God, had no place in the kingdom of God, had no place at the table. They lived in the margins, religiously, spiritually, in in the eyes of the, the Jewish people. So let me start again. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not known to the sons of men, to other people and other generations, That is, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, I'm just doing the first six verses because, frankly, it's not all that easy to follow. It's not all that easy to follow Paul here. Sometimes Paul gets so wrapped up in what he was saying, I think he'd kind of ramble. (laughs) I mean, all Scripture is inspired, all Scripture is good, but God did it through people. I think sometimes Paul would just ramble. I, I do that. Lynn hates it. I'll stop right in the middle of a sentence, and she'll see that glazed look in my eyes and know that I'm I'm about to ramble. (laughs) In in chapter three, verse one, Paul actually begins to pray. He he says, "For this reason, I Paul." He he actually begins. He wants to say, "For this reason, I kneel before the Father." But he interrupts himself, and he doesn't get back to his prayer until verse fourteen. This interruption is is not an an easy read, though most of the translations have cleaned it up a little bit. But let me just highlight some phrases from these two sentences, just two sentences, verses one through six. Let me highlight some phrases to just kind of dig into it a little bit. So so the first is stewardship. And that word stewardship means it belongs to God. It belongs to God, but it's been given to Paul to use according to God's direction. There's a stewardship of grace that belongs to God, but it's been given to Paul to use at God's direction direction. And then the word grace. I mean, grace is what made Paul tick. For Paul, everything began, continued, and ended with grace. Here Paul says, perhaps you've heard of the stewardship of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. He says, grace has been given to me by God for you. (laughs) And I just wonder how many of us live with that perspective? I couldn't help but think of that as I read that passage. How many of us assume that when God graces us, that he does so for the sake of someone else? He blesses us beyond belief so that we can be a blessing to somebody else. He graces us, unearned, undeserved, so that we could grace others. It's not just for you. It's not just for me. I mean, think back to the last time that you got graced. was your very first thought, grace has been given to me by God for fill in the blank, for this people, for this neighbor, for my family. See, I think what happens is, is that we're so... We're so discipled by the consumerism of, of, of the consumerism of the world that we think that what we get belongs to us. I think what happens is that sometimes we get a taste of grace, we get a taste of God, and, and we want more of Him. It's so good. We begin to, we begin to kind of cling, tighten our grasp. But it's not, it's not just for us, it's for others. Next phrase, mystery of Christ mystery of Christ. What was it that God gave Paul so that he could give it away? Paul calls it the revelation of a mystery. Three times Paul uses this word mystery. In the Greek, this word has a slightly different meaning than mystery does for us. For us, a mystery is something that's dark and confusing, maybe difficult to unravel. But in the Greek, a mystery was something something that, that was simply hidden. It was a truth unknown, but now it's been revealed. So Paul says, what was unknown has been revealed. In essence, Paul's message is God put me in the know for you. And what knowledge did God give Paul? What mystery was re- revealed? Well, first and most importantly, the gospel is Christ <laughs> revealed, the mystery of Christ, verse 4. Never before in all the ages was it ever imagined. It was a mystery. It was unrevealed. It was unknown. Never before in all the ages was it ever imagined that the time would come when the creator would become part of the creation and that while part of the creation, the creator would die for those whom he had created so that this intimacy of relationship could be reestablished. Never before in all the ages was it ever imagined what the father would do, what he would give in order to make a place for us in his family. In verse six, we see the mystery revealed is not only the mystery of Christ, Paul says it's also the mystery of the church that all the walls would be torn down so that a new dynamic, powerful community could develop. He writes, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. They're part of the family. They're members of the same body. They're partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, through the unsearchable riches of Christ. I love that phrase. Through the unsearchable riches of Christ, we've been made alive, seated together, forgiven, chosen, and blessed, part of the family. So I want you to hear these three words, Christ, community, and calling, right? Those those three words should be familiar to you if if you're a part of Calvary. Christ, community, and calling. That's that's part of the grace. There's a calling that comes to us because of the gospel. Though, Though in each of our lives, it'll have a unique shape, the core of our calling is realizing God's assignment to be stewards of his grace. That's the core of our calling. Paul writes, I'm assuming you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. God's grace is given to us for others. That's what our front yard mission is all about. It's just simply saying God has given us a grace that's not just for us, it's for those who live by us. And and you know what happens when we get graced and we pass grace on? Paul says it's like we become this marquee, this billboard in the heavenlies advertising the wisdom and the grace of God. We become God's show and tell to the principalities and the powers, the spiritual forces of darkness. I can't even begin to tell you how important this is. For thousands and thousands of years, Satan has been thumbing his nose at God, rejecting and ridiculing the wisdom and the grace of God. But when grace flows not only to us, but through us, the wisdom of God is made known. See, grace has a cosmic effect. The importance of the church as the place where the purposes of God are embodied, not just a place that puts on worship services, but, but the place where it's embodied in the heavenly places, where, where heaven meets earth, we, we become the sea I told you of God. Uh, let me read the next section of Ephesians 3, verses 7 through 11 of this gospel, Paul says, of this good news, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So here's what Paul's saying. Again, grace was given to me by his power. Grace was given to me, but it was given to me for others. In fact, it was given to me to give. To the last people that would come to mind, at least for the Jews, it was given to me to give to the Gentiles. It was given to, to the people who are invisible to us because Christ wants his light to shine everywhere for everyone. So we proclaim the good news of the unsearchable riches of Christ to those in the margins, stewards of grace for those in the margins. Now, what are the margins? Well, the margins are the clear spaces at the edge of a book, except for the occasional note you write. The margins are... Are invisible, right? Unnoticed, like the people who live there. You find margins on the shoulder of life's highway. It's where people pull off because they're lost or broken or they've just given up. Your community, my community, our neighborhoods have margins, right? Tony Campolo uh, just close with this story. I, he shares a, a stewardship of grace kind of story. It's one of his signature stories. One of my favorites. It was three thirty in the morning. Tony had traveled from East Coast time to Hawaii time, and it felt a lot like breakfast time, so he found himself in a greasy spoon diner at about four in the morning, munching on a donut and sipping his coffee, when the door of the diner swung open and in marched eight provocative and boisterous prostitutes. Surrounded in the small diner, Tony felt completely out of place, and he was just about to make his getaway when he overheard one of them say, "'Tomorrow's my birthday. I'm going to be 39.'" Her friend, in quotation marks, responded in kind of a nasty tone. So what do you want from me, a birthday party? You want me to get you a cake and sing happy birthday? Come on, the first woman shot back. Why do you have to be so mean? I was just telling you, that's all. I don't want anything from you. Why should you give me a birthday party? I've never had one in my whole life. Gave Tony an idea. When the women left, he called Harry, the, the cook, over and said, do, do they come in here every night? Yeah, he said, the, the, the one next to me, does she come in every night? Yeah, that's Agnes. Why? Because she said tomorrow's her birthday, Tony. He said, well, what do you say we do something about that? And so they made plans. Tony was in charge of decorations. Harry was in charge of the cake. By 3 a.m., the greasy spoon was looking pretty good. And the word must have gotten out because by 3.15, <laughs> it seemed like every prostitute in Honolulu was in the place. At 3.30, the door swung open and in walked Agnes, and everyone screamed, Happy Birthday! (laughs) Agnes's mouth fell open, her legs buckled. When everyone began to sing Happy Birthday, her eyes began to water. (laughs) But when the birthday cake was brought out, she just lost it, began to weep. Harry the cook gruffly mumbled, Oh, come on, Agnes, blow out the candles. Or I'll have to do it for you. And, and finally, Harry did it for her. He blew out the candles, and then he handed her a knife. And Agnes held the knife, looked down at the cake, and softly said, Look, Harry, is it all right with you if I—is is it okay if I— Could I just keep the cake a little longer? Is it all right if we don't eat it right now? Harry shrugged, Sure. She got up off the stool, picked up the cake like it was the Holy Grail, and walked slowly to the door. And when the door closed, Tony Compolo broke the silence with the words, "Could we pray?" It's only an indictment against the church that any of us would think it strange for a sociologist to be leading a prayer meeting with a bunch of prostitutes in a diner at three thirty in the morning. But he prayed. He prayed for Agnes's salvation. He prayed that God would pour out his grace upon Agnes and show her Jesus. When he finished, Harry leaned over the counter with a trace of hostility in his voice. He said, hey, you never told me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to? In one of those moments when the Holy Spirit brings just the right words, Tony replied, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties <laughs> for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. Harry was kind of quiet for a moment, and then he almost sneered as he answered, No, you don't. There is no church like that. If there was a church like that, I'd join it. I'd join a church like that. And you see, for a moment, in a greasy spoon cafe in Hawaii, Tony Campolo was a steward of the grace of God for Agnes and Harry and all their friends. He was unveiling the mystery of the unsearchable riches of Christ. And through that stewardship of God's grace, a greasy spoon cafe became a church, a church that became a showcase for the multifaceted wisdom and grace of God. So let me just ask you, who has God given you grace for? Who are the untouchables in your life for whom God has given you his grace? Who are the people living in the margins for whom God has given you his grace? If God has graced you, it's not just for you. He's given you grace for others. Let me pray. Father, I, I pray that even now for each person listening that you would bring to mind a person for whom you have given us grace. God, a person that in some way you want us to pass on this stewardship of grace that you have given us. It's not just a grace and a blessing. You don't, you don't just give us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly so that our life can be better. You've given it to us for others. And, and I, I pray that right now in this moment you would bring to mind for whom it is that you've given us grace. And God, I, I pray that through us, through you working in us and through us, that, that your grace would be poured out in magnificent, magnificent ways. Grace us, God, so that we can grace others. Bless us, Father, so that we can bless others. Like Jesus, send us like you sent him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.